0: An example of this is like a brainstorming meeting, which everybody hates because how they're approached. You you go to a meeting and somebody, you write stuff on a whiteboard down and everybody says, don't judge the ideas, but we all know there's someone snickering or whatever's going on in the room because we don't take it too seriously because we have these two different ways of thinking that we think are correct. And we bring them both to this meeting and even the person on the board is curating and not necessarily putting everything up on the board. I've seen this happen all the time. And so everybody's saying, we don't really get anything done. Well, the way to really approach that would be to separate those ways of thinking and maybe even two meetings, just as an example. So you could, in one situation, teach everybody or even have the team that does this better, come up with the ideas. And then you have another session separate. And it may be, again, the people who are really more the critical thinkers, you get them together and they test the ideas.
1: Welcome to Conversations, powered by Quantibos. I am Brian Gorman, a Quantibos coach and your host. With me today is Rich Kirkpatrick. Rich is the author of Mind Blown, Unlock Your Creative Genius by Bridging Science and Magic. Welcome, Rich. Thank you for having me, Brian. Rich, let's start at the very beginning. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. How do you define creativity?
0: Creativity. I define it as something that is both useful and beautiful there seems to be this idea that you know creativity is solving a problem which it is but some people stop there and it kind of reminds me of facebook's ceo who said move fast and break things long as we're innovating long as you're moving forward well i think that's only part of the equation is that it's actually useful it also has to have beautiful which i kind of use as a way to describe something that is that intangible thing that we don't really own but that moves us, that's, that keeps us human, that, that tastes good. And we don't know how to explain it sometimes, but we know it's true and it's real. So that's where, you know, I think creativity has these qualities of something that, yeah, it solves a real world problem, but it also has something more than that. And that more than that could be meaning. It could be simply just something that moves us a bit. But I think those, those are some of the qualifications for something that's creative.
1: I want to go to something that I believe I had written in my original outreach to you. I discovered graph paper in fourth grade. I discovered that I could design buildings on graph paper. And from fourth grade, literally through my first semester, my junior year in college, I had this passion for becoming an architect. And when I discovered that I had the technical competence, but couldn't get the creative juice of the type of architecture that I wanted, not only did I leave architecture, but I left my belief in my creativity. And it wasn't until many years later that I realized creativity comes in all flavors.
0: Oh yeah. I I think, and I was kind of the, the kid who doodled on his desk, who the teacher had to kind of say, bring back here. So I think what we're, what I talk about in the book are these two characters, which are really kind of, there's more than two flavors, but they're kind of, the two extremes of how you start creativity. There's the robot and the wizard. And the robot's the one who comes, starts the creativity from a very technical, very uh, precise scientific kind of way. And then the, of course, the wizard is kind of the artist, kind of the person who just, it seems like it's intuitive from within. But when you get to a certain point, that's how you begin. A lot of the same things happen what scientists seem to have be saying about the creative process, but we we're all wired a little differently. So, you know, if you're a friend of mine, I mentioned in the book that I wrote, who's this incredible programmer. Um, he taught me about this idea of elegant code, where here, this is a coder guy talking about how they would basically say, oh, that's awesome. Kind of like a hot rod, you know, like, oh, look at that car, but look at that code. You can't really see it, but they can see it. And so I think that's kind of where that beauty part comes in, where um, it's there, even in the technical stuff, even in that. And I think sometimes we're not allowing people to be in those spaces that just happens to be their language. If their language is graph paper or ones and zeros, business systems, um, you know, those kinds of things, legal code, or if it's something, you know, musical notes. Because even at musical notes, you go back and you have to put it, or you can deconstruct it into music theory, which was one thing I was great at. I was a nerd at music theory. And and that's a way to describe what music does. But even in all that, there's this other side to it that that's just a starting point. And it doesn't have to be all that there is, not just ones and zeros.
1: In the book, you write leadership and creativity not only need to coexist, they cannot exist as separate ideas. Why is it important to integrate creativity and leadership in that complete way?
0: I learned this from Bolton and Deal's book about creative leadership and their research shows that you have to be creative. What that defines defining creativity a little deeper. It's the ability really to make that bridge. I talk about going between these two things between science and magic. As I say, those are just metaphors for like logic and imagination. And so leadership requires shifting of your your thoughts to one thing, to another thing. You can't, uh, in an institution, simply think I'm really good at charisma so I can really just win over people. And that's good to have that. But then you also have to think about structure. How am I going to imagine the world through that and look at that lens? And then you need another lens. You need a lens to see, okay, there's uh, competing things from good the good people in this institution that have to somehow be managed they can't really ever be resolved so i have to be creative in that sense so creativity is being able to, to shift your mindset to kind of like uh, marvel's multiverse there's so many realities out there and just because i'm good as a leader at one reality like i'm a good person i could pitch somebody i can get them excited about it but then if i don't give them a structure i'm not understanding some of their that for it to succeed so oftentimes we as leaders, sometimes will take a hammer and everything's a nail, but creativity says, you know what, I have, I have to get several tools, which are lenses of thought because there's so much information in front of me. And Bob Deal's book goes into that and really gave me this idea that I have to be creative if I'm going to lead one empathy. I need to be able to get in another person's shoes. If that's a client, um, I need to go into their universe and be able to imagine what it's like to be in their shoes, if it's a competitor, if it's others, if it's different departments or whatever it is that's going on, I have to be able to shift my brain. And that's part of creativity actually. So I think it's integral in that sense.
1: I love that, be able to shift my brain. (laughs) You actually talk about the brain in in several different ways in the book. And you talk about divergent, convergent, and lateral thinking in the brain. (laughs) Can you talk a little bit about that here in terms of what those are and how they play out for the leader?
0: Yeah, there's really two brain networks and a third one that switches the lateral that are involved in what scientists call create creative thought. And there's obviously a lot of other brain networks that do all sorts of different things. And the idea here, first of all, is that there are two things that appear opposite, convergent and divergent. And convergent is what most of us know how to do this. We sort all the things in front of us so we can make sense of it. We use the executive function of our brain to determine this is good, this is medium, this is really bad, rate ranking things, uh, using reason and logic and experience and those kinds of things. And so it's extremely important to have convergent thinking. Um, 80% of the population would say that's the way to think because they naturally or because of their upbringing are taught to that's it. And then, you know, people like me who are kind of pseudo artists in in the sense that I also think I'm an engineer inside, but outside I'm an artist. So we are the 20% of divergent thinkers, which are the people who take from one idea and bounce to many different things without fully stopping just because it seems ludicrous or whatever. And out of that, find a reservoir of great ideas. And so those are the two ways of thinking. However, you've got to switch between, you cannot do these two ways of thinking at the same time. The brain doesn't do that. So you have to shift. That's why there's this other shifting lateral thinking They some people call that. And it's that switching between sorting and then idea generation, uh, judging something and then seeing what else is possible. Going between those two things is what creative genius is like and that takes practice and discipline and it's really not easy and fun sometimes an example of this is like a brainstorming meeting which everybody hates because how they're approached you, you go to a meeting and somebody you know, write stuff on a whiteboard down and everybody says don't judge the ideas but we all know there's someone snickering or whatever's going on in the room because we don't take it too seriously because we have these two different ways of thinking that we think are correct and we bring them both to this meeting um, and even the person on the board is curating and not necessarily putting everything up on the board, I've seen this happen all the time. And so everybody's saying, we don't really get anything done. Well, the way to really approach that would be to separate those ways of thinking and maybe even two meetings, just as an example. So you could, in one situation, teach everybody or even have the team that does this better, come up with the ideas. And then you have another session separate. And it may be, again, the people who are really more the critical thinkers, you get them together and they test the ideas. So you could think of these ways of thinking in the terms of how you group a process um, or, or how you run a meeting to kind of help people like, okay, let's put the gas um, on the idea generation and the break on uh, judging them. And then now we got to put the break now on and, but you put both on, we all know what happens. It's just a lot of heat happens. It's frustrating and it's not very productive, but we are naturally these two kinds of thinking in, in creativity and, the folks that are able, either individually or through their team, to uh, vastly quickly between these two are the ones who can really come up with ideas quickly and implement them. Actually,
1: how do we get leaders more in touch with their creativity?
0: Well, first of all, a lot of the people I know who are leaders aren't necessarily touchy feely people. So it's <laughs> they're gonna, and you're told to be more touchy. Well, the truth of it is, empathy is a strength, and creativity is is something like empathy and that in my mind, I have to be able to role play. I have to be able to imagine other possibilities. And so to get in touch with that is really, one example would be how do I grow my curiosity, for instance? One way would be uh, to practice that. And our family road trips, we would, as a kid, we would uh, look for the, the orange car or for the Michigan license plate because we're in California, there, there's not very many. And how many out-of-state license plates can you count? Now, once you start looking for those, your brain, is going to begin to find, say you looking for orange cars, all of a sudden, every car is orange because your brain is now being able to spot those. And that's what curiosity does. It, it wires in you and openness to something that you weren't open to. And so that's an example for a leader to say, there's ways that you can get some practices in place to do that. And I call that embracing the awkward. Um, if you're a person who's willing to do that, I got to embrace the awkward. And it's already awkward enough leading people there's already going to be pushback. It's already going to be heat. It's already going to be, you know, you're in it because you love the adrenaline because you never know how long you're going to survive probably. So the act of, of creativity to add that on is really not an addition to effort to tire you out. It's actually a way to clarify your focus so you can actually have more energy in your brain to think about bigger issues um, and such that we were talking about the multiverse. So if I'm able to, Quickly empathize between all these different competing things, whether it's uh, the human resource issue or whether it's the communication, the are people getting the message, or uh, if it's um, structural things. If I'm able to move my mind between those quickly, then I'm going to save myself time by trying to get myopic about all of the details. I can step back and really find clarity. And so I would say, how you get in touch as leaders, first of all, you got to believe that it's not something that's separate from you as a person. Creativity is just really another thing, I, I believe, a word to describe what humans do when they thrive. So the, the question I would say to you leaders is if you wanna thrive, become more creative and exercise that. And if you learn to exercise that creative muscle, you're gonna find out that, that, you know, the things you don't think were creative, the graph paper is actually an incredibly creative tool.
1: I wanna to go back to something that I said before, which is I discovered that I am creative. And I wanna give a couple of examples of that because I think that may help spark some recognition in some leaders at least. My first venture back into creativity, if you will, was I had a partner in a relationship who was an artist and tried to teach me how to draw for five years. And toward the end of the time together, the suggestion was made that perhaps I should buy a camera. (laughs) I now have a photograph in the permanent collection at the Museum of Fine Art, in Houston. I discovered I have a creative eye in photography. I'm a writer, and that's creative. I'm a learner, cross, in a cross-disciplinary way, and that's creative. You know, as I'm I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about another book I just read called "Wise Beyond Your Field." Hmm where the author actually created what they called themselves the gang that ranged from a football coach to a county sheriff, to a world renowned dancer, to a, the founder of a software company and more. And they would regularly learn from one another, bring different perspectives outside their field to their challenges. So I think there are so many different ways, you know, if, if any of us think back to our childhood, we were creative. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Until somebody said, color within the lines, or they would tell me, don't, don't draw on your paper. And later I found out, by the way, I have ADHD, and a, a, being a musician, a bass player, who is also a psychologist, see the multidisciplinary guy, said, Rich, you know, you self-medicate. And I said, what are you talking about? And of course, I had coffee in my hand and that was kind of like Ritalin for me naturally. And of course, I have two children that have diagnosis with this. And but the superpower in it is, is that I can easily leave my mind open to things because I, I don't have as much choice in that. That's kind of, um, and that allows me to come up with concepts and things quickly in some instances or be hyper-focused. So oftentimes the very things in us that we think our limitations actually we find like you found you had a good eye but you know being able to get your hand to do it is different or the medium to do it's different I have my daughter she's an illustrator so she's learned that and but she practices every day is like something in her that does that and I think when you find that whatever that intersection is uh where your eye if it's your eye or the feel or whatever it is within you that has your creative edge it's like a bug that bites you and you're able then to grow on that and you may, your experience is, is great to hear because for me, I realize as a musician, I'm not like a performer. I like to be, I like to do music, but not, I'm the sideman, right? And there's people who are the front man. And my daughter, who we collaborate in music, she's the voice as a TV show. They invited her, producers invited her. She has an incredible voice, but she doesn't want to be the one to break the other person's legs to get on stage. That bug didn't bite her, but the songwriting bit her and the other parts of music bit her. So, that doesn't mean the performer isn't creative or she's not creative. It just means that how they started, just like the robot and wizard are different. There's there's a different spectrum that people um, hopefully can discover about themselves. And then that cross disciplinary thing is when you find that thing, it it probably gives you an edge to see the other things you do. Great. And when I started writing and blogging, I didn't you know know that that would be anything. And I was paid for a while to blog for other people and write for. I didn't know, but then it was something that helped me in. Uh, speaking and other things I'm doing because I had this other outlet for it and I imagine for you being able to take photos and to have that inward part of yourself that what I call that beauty part whatever it just you can't it just it's kind of mystical in a way it's and so people are both of these things this is the thing I think people are both we have to like find a way to eat (laughs) find a way to survive we also have to somehow have some meaning in life and have some, something that, that is representative of more. You know, we, we all want to plant that tree, whether we know it or not, that we're not going to enjoy the shade for. We want to have something like that that we leave behind on this planet. And I think, you know, the illustration of what I said about Facebook, where they said move fast and break things, the reason why that has such a short shelf life is because it doesn't really address that need we have. Imagine if social media if the people who have these incredible technologies which solve problems, if they were able to see how can we help people find greater meaning, they probably will make more money somehow. But what they found is how can we, you know, um, capitalize on the short-term gain of getting information on people and selling them as opposed to what is going to leave something behind that's better for the world. Uh, I think that's that's kind of where creativity kind of brings the best of humanity. And not to get too metaphysical or, or... moral in a way, but war, for instance, the why is so evil because it destroys what people create and it stops people living, which means less creativity. So the things that ail our society, sickness and short lifespans and all those things, you know, they harm us as, as a species, as people. And so when we are able to encourage human thriving and see that, that folks can do more of that than what we make and see how well we make fits in that, whether it's them being moved by a breakup song because they don't know how to deal with the the relationship they broke up with or if it's, you know, a, a business process that's more human and your employees enjoy better performing it. Those are things that matter, I think. And that's why creativity really is integral.
1: In the book, you write, we can't hustle our way to more and better ideas without the rest to recharge our brains, bodies, and souls. Why is rest so important to creativity?
0: Well, yeah i think part of that is first of all we have limitations we need to sleep we are not machines even machines need maintenance but we're unlike a machine we're an evolving creature uh it's not like uh just changing a tire when something goes wrong we have to recover we have to heal and even the act of exercise is breaking apart our body in a way so it can build itself back up If we're you know and that continual process is is normal if we want to rush that process and you know, we're, we're basically taking, you know, trying to microwave a croissant and <laughs> not understanding that there's lots of things that are involved in that croissant coming to life with the dough rising, uh, however many times it needs to rise and, and the temperature of the butter that's put in the dough and all those things, you're not going to have a croissant. You might have some kind of thing that you can eat supposedly. But I think that's where the ideas um, are need to be seen as this. We live in a world that commoditizes everything so music you know the long tail way back in the day i remember all of a sudden everything is the long tail of music we have so much of it now it's just whatever we call it content creation for those of us who write and do things but what if we are just cheating ourselves by doing that so that's part of it and then also the other part of it where rest is just a human thing to do so You need to do that. Now, there is, you know, scientists, they talk about how what happens when you actually can get into different modes of thought. So there's actually this idea of your physicality involved in it. But how can an idea incubate, you know, if it doesn't have time, doesn't have space? So I think, and there's a lot to that too. But we all say, if you work hard, you get better ideas. Now, if you get more ideas, which means you might be playing a little bit more, actually, uh, what people consider play, you might actually have things that not only or you're more excited about what your team is. And the secret is intrinsic motivation works. Um, all the tools of manipulation that we all want to put in, they might work for a time, but what really is gonna work is when you get people excited about something owning it. So if we hustle too hard, you know, and take the joy from it. I don't think you're gonna have good ideas. Or if you do, you're gonna tire your people out and you're keep just burning through that.
1: One of the things I have learned that is related to this Well, two things. The first, for some reason, some of my best ideas arrive in the shower. (laughs) But then I have to let them germinate. I have to just tuck them away. If I begin to, I guess, move from wherever that idea came from into convergent thinking too quickly, I really tend to, if not kill it, then minimize its potential growth and so again that that ability to plant the seed and let it grow that can't happen when we're hustling <laughs> you can't hustle an idea to success i don't think
0: yeah um gordon mckenzie one of my favorite authors who's a, who was an artist for hallmark for many years his book orbiting the giant Hairballs is a must-read for folks in the corporate world who feel creative and how am I gonna survive? That book's helped me for many years. But he, he said something like this, where it's like cows chewing the cud. What appears to be non-work, he described it this way, a manager looking over the fence and saying, get back in the barn and make milk while the cows are chewing cud. Well, they are making milk, but they have to go through chewing the cud and they, all their stomachs and all the things that are involved with what cows do. And we wanna take them to the slaughterhouse and we'll just get meat out of them. They're not making enough milk. Um, and that is a great picture, I think of this. And one other picture he gave is if you have a timeline and he said, here's the creative process, which is say, you know, the length of a pencil, the tip of the pencil is all that's visible really. And so sometimes we have to be able to quantify more than what is what we call visible work in our culture. Sometimes that human interaction of people eating together or learning together, growing together is, is work too. Um, it's going to allow them to be able to get ideas. And so like what you're saying about ideas, uh, they actually call it an incubation phase where you have these these four stages that seems academia has seemed to kind of like follow this pattern and, and um, every time it gets tested, it comes out. So and the first thing, of course, is a preparation where that is where you get your skills and your reservoir of things together. And then, then there's this idea of incubation where then you put it in the oven somehow or the cow chews it. And then you have illumination, which is like archidemies in the bathtub or the shower when finally, not only does it flash, but we know we're ready to get it going and they call it illumination. And then there's elaboration or other names for the last step of it, which is we just execute and we build upon that idea. And the thing I discovered is that it's never really truly done. We sometimes have to go backwards and see, oh, okay, this idea now has to change because now we require more budget for so how that another creativity has to come up with how do we do that because we really like this now Um, or it's not going to fit this context we have to think of a new context that happens all the time but that's part of creativity and you can't really rush a lot of that but when you see yourself not moving in a straight line like I always used to tell my kids they're not kids anymore but I would still say this to them that you know the points between a and b in life it's never a straight line and that's just how life is in, in our age with generations raised upon performance trophies or um, participation trophies, for instance, or you know, we have a hard time taking criticism nowadays. All of us do. It's because we don't understand that it's not a setback to have to begin again sometimes. Sometimes it's a growth. Sometimes it's moving forward, what looks like going backward. And in that sense, ideas uh, or creativity, we have to be open to a process that's like that that might appear that we're holding back, say you're a, a business you're holding back on something for a while in order to figure it out, that that's actually moving forward because you need to figure things out or you need to mend some things or you need to discuss some things or build something else for a while. And that's all part of what creativity does. We can't do everything at the same time, hustle on all cylinders and go in all directions and not question why we're being burnt out.
1: So are you saying there's a value sometimes to being a couch potato?
0: I would say to some degree, yes. Um, I don't know in our culture, you know, what we equate a couch potato, obviously being lazy is one of the worst things in our culture. We are not a lazy people in general. It's just that we don't consider like self-care work. So if we're on a couch potato, as opposed to taking a walk, we're maybe missing an opportunity in that way. But having the time off to take the walk or take a nap on the couch. Uh, whatever one you need is something that we need to have space to do at times. And that's where as humans, you know, if we're going through a lot of stressful situations, we have in our HR, this thing called comp days, right? Who takes those? Because you're afraid, people are afraid to take them. My wife runs a school and I try to tell her well, she's got all these employees and, you know, multiple schools to run. And there's always something going on And part of this challenge for her, just being such a great worker as well as a leader is taking time to just, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to enjoy a good cup of coffee and sit for a while and be present. So we need better humanity for ourselves, selfishly, but also that helps us be better for the people we lead. Uh, They get the better version of ourselves because we have the better version of ourselves. And I think that's a discipline. That's a work. It's hard. I've been burned out a couple of times because I would just try to fix everything uh, and was stubborn about it. But it's a point we got to step back and be the couch potato, let things play out. Um, sometimes it's a good strategy. Not being less fair completely, but you know what I'm saying, I think.
1: I do. I think that's a great place to end this conversation. Rich Kirkpatrick, author of Mind Blown, thank you for this conversation.
0: My pleasure, Brian.